Welcome to the Color and Chaos Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Jonah Fair, and I'm coming to you from Macomb, Michigan. This podcast exists as a cry that no matter what you are going through, the best of times, the worst of times, that no matter what we go through, we have this inclination within us that whenever we go through chaos, or we go through hardships or trials or difficulties, that the knee-jerk reaction within each and every one of us is to run away from or to numb ourselves from the pain that we are going through. And that's something that I can see as a pattern in my life. And I also see this irony at work. I see that in the moments of pain and difficulty, even though I want to do nothing else but run away from that pain and difficulty, when I look back in hindsight, it was the pain and difficulty that grew me the most. Not only grew me as a person, but grew me in my understanding and my love and appreciation for my creator, savior, and sustainer, which is so ironic because it's pain. But somehow we have a creator, savior, sustainer that can bring a color out of chaos when instead of trying to lean into the chaos through our own strength or our own ability, we lean into the only one that can make us whole. And so that's the cry of this podcast. And no matter what you're going through, best of times, worst of times, that you will know that you were created with a far greater plan and purpose than anything this world can offer. And so in saying that, today's episode, I felt very led. I've actually felt led for a while now, but I just haven't done it until now. I felt led to play for you one of my favorite sermons ever. This is a sermon that I I heard in college, and unfortunately, I can't find it anywhere on the internet anymore. The name of the pastor is Judah Smith. You may know him uh, from Seattle. He's a pastor of a church called Church Home. And back when I heard this sermon, it was back when the church was named City Church. Yeah, <laughs> this is a sermon that's that's my favorite sermon of all time. And I don't have the video version of it. I just have the audio version. So if you're watching, then uh, you're just going to see a graphic of, of the, the, the sermon itself. But after the message that you're about to hear from Pastor Judah Smith, we're going to end this podcast with a song. The name of the song is Burn, and it's by the artist One Sonic Society. And again, if, if this ministers to you, if this meets you where you are, I encourage you to share this with others so that they could be able to be ministered to as well. God bless you. And again, this is Pastor Judah Smith out in Seattle, Washington in 2013. And the name of this message is Keep It Clear. John 3.13. This is uh, really the verse we've been using to uh, frame our whole series together. It's Jesus, a claim made exclusively by Jesus. He says this, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. The language is, is very powerful and, and pithy, but essentially Jesus is making a claim, a claim that I said is only his, and that is that he lived on this planet Earth after he lived in heaven. He's the only one to do that. So his 33 years on this planet were profoundly framed by the thoughts and images and reality of heaven. Heaven was on the mind of Jesus continually. It was a major theme of his heart and his life and his ministry. And so as a community, our passion is that heaven, eternity, forever would become a major theme in our everyday life. And the truth is, the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you'll be. I really believe that. And it's clear that you believe that as well. And that's why four people said amen. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm sorry. I've just been to Jacksonville. I'm not going to let you be quiet. All right. 
Now, go with me to Luke's gospel. Don't you love Luke's gospel? Dr. Luke. I love this gospel. It's so descriptive. In the true doctor form, Luke, uh, Luke pulls out parts of Jesus' life and ministry that are, are not found in any other gospel. He's, he's a doctor. He's a medical doctor. He's into, he's into the minutia, the details. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. It's here that um, what Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. One disciple asked, it says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus said to them, All right, when you pray, say. Now, what he's giving us here is not a prayer that we just pray over and over and over mindlessly. But he's saying, here's, here's the focus of prayer. Here's the context in which we should enter prayer. Here's our attitude and our perspective in which we should approach prayer. When you come to pray, I want you to consider that you have a father who is in heaven. So I want you to think about God as a father, Jesus is saying. I want, you to, I want you to consider where he is. He is in eternity. He is in forever. He is in heaven. And I want you to think about how holy he is, how holy just the mention of his name is. And then I want us to pray. I want you to pray, church. I want you to pray, disciples, that this king who has a kingdom, that his kingdom would come. Now, this portion of the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, really puts us in the crosshairs of a collision. He says, now when you pray, I want you to pray to the King, to your Father who's in heaven. And the prayer I want you to pray is your kingdom come and your will be done. Here's the collision. On earth as it is in heaven. We literally become, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, we become a portal for, through our prayers, a portal for heaven to invade earth. It's amazing, isn't it? And I love that statement right at the end, as it is in heaven. And that's really, we talked about this a bit last week, and I want to pick up where we left off last week. And I just want us to come around that one phrase, as it is in heaven. Jesus said, when you pray, this is what I want you to pray. As it is in heaven. That's a massive statement. And of course, it forces us to ask the question, how is it in heaven? It's funny how many of us have prayed the Lord's Prayer or know the Lord's Prayer, or at least, you know, put it to memory. And uh, one of the major themes, like right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, is the statement, as it is in heaven. And yet we've never truly stopped to consider how is, in, how is it in heaven? Because I am to live as it is in heaven. Wow. So I want us just to think about that a little bit. Now, Fast forward with me to Revelation 21. We read the entire chapter last week as a church, and uh, I'll save you reading the entire chapter. But I want to pick up on a few key verses again that uh, will help us in our, in our study today. Revelation 21, and uh, I'll start with verse 1 to give us a bit, of, a bit of context. Written by John, who has a supernatural vision of the end of the age, a new heaven and a new earth. 
And he says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, leapfrog with me to verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, this great city in which you and I will live in. For those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, we will live in this city forever. The holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Listen closely now, verse 11. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone. And then here's, we talked about this a bit last week, clear as crystal. i never seen jasper like that. Clear as crystal. And the theme continues in verse 18. It says, the construction of its walls was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. There's this clarity again, this transparent nature in, in these jewels and metals. Verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Again, we're coming around this thought as it is in heaven. How is it in heaven? Verse 23, listen closely. The city had no need of sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. And this, this, is, this, is, this is an amazing phrase right here. I mean, for preachers, this is, this is, is too easy. The lamb is its light. I mean, is that not amazing? Who is the lamb, church? It's Jesus. So Jesus illuminates eternity. Okay, now in this life, um, even when it's a brilliant, bright, sunny day, the 40 that we get in Seattle, you can, you can go into a home, shut the shutters, close the door, and experience a level of darkness. In heaven, that is impossible. For the city is glass, like glass. The streets are transparent. The light of Jesus permeates every square inch of forever. <laughs> and some of you are like, I don't like that. I kind of want, you know, no, you will because you won't have anything to hide and you won't need to sleep. Okay, so we're talking about as it is in heaven. Just one more verse, chapter 22 and verse one. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. There it is again. The river is clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and from Jesus, a river clear as crystal, which, which reminds us in Revelation 4, 6, we talked about this before, there is a sea, multiple seas in the new heaven and the new earth, and they will be clear as glass. It's an amazing, amazing explanation and description of where we'll spend eternity. I wanna uh, title our message uh, today, Keep It Clear, Keep It Clear. Okay, turn to the to person next to you and say, keep it clear. Turn to the other person. If you haven't met each other, just say, keep it clear. Would you pray with me? This is, um, truth is, 
I hadn't planned on preaching this message. I had another message all prepared, but uh, on my flight to Jacksonville, three and a half hours, as soon as I got on the plane, Holy Spirit started talking to me, not audibly, but in my heart, and I actually started writing, and I, and I, and I wrote, and, and uh, God just spoke to me about a number of different things, but this message, and um, so this wasn't planned, this wasn't part of the series, but such is life at City Church, and so our series is going to go an extra week if you don't mind. Um, you're so kind. But uh, pray with me as uh, we look at these passages. Amen. Holy Spirit, we love you. We know that you're here. You're faithful. Where two or more are gathered in your name, you're there in the midst. We thank you for it. Thank you for your grace and your love. Help us to see Jesus today. That's what we need, God. We need to see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. And I suppose, Lord, I'll throw in a prayer for the Ravens to beat the Niners. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You like to read. Anybody, are you readers? Readers or leaders, they say. I don't know if that's true, but it rhymes. Um, I mean, I like to read. I like to read. My mom says, Judy, you need to tell the church that you are a reader because they think you're not smart. I said, well, okay, mom, I'll, I'll tell them that I like to read. I do like to read. I just like to peruse books. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, that was a good chapter. Let's go to chapter 14 now. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just feel free that way. I feel like, you know, you can't hold me down. I'm a rebel. Um, so I just, you know, random. And I'll be reading six, seven, eight books at one time. Who knows? It just, it just makes me feel good. So, um, but I love subtitles. I know it's a fetish. It's weird. It's bizarre. But I, I think subtitles... Um, to me, it's what sells the book. Like, I, I mean, you need to capture me with an alluring, mysterious, yet descriptive subtitle. Y'all know what subtitles are? And I don't know if subtitles have always been around, but um, I think, uh, for instance, we put together the Jesus Is book, which is really the story of our journey as a church the last three years, and it's going to come out this month. And uh, so the publisher, Thomas Nelson, said, okay, what's the subtitle? And they threw out some subtitles that I were like, nah, that just doesn't move me at all. I'm not even going to read my own book. Wait a minute, you know? And um, so we landed on this one subtitle, and you may not like it, but I love it. Jesus is blank, and on the cover it says, a new way to be human. And I'm like, who does not want a new way to be human? That is exhilarating. So um, thank you for clapping for my subtitle. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so I was thinking the other day, and I don't know if this is heretical, and if it is, bear with me, okay? But I was thinking, it would be cool if the Bible had a subtitle. I mean, I don't know, Barry. I think it would just be like, it would really kind of like, you know, just like the Bible, especially for this new generation. Let's put a, what if we had a subtitle to Scripture? The Bible means sacred Scripture. And, and, and I, I don't know if that would be the best subtitle. It, it may work. I, it may work for you. But what if the Bible had a subtitle? And I thought the best subtitle, interestingly enough, is one of the Scriptures we read. I literally think you could say, and you may not like this, okay, but I think it's alluring, mysterious, yet descriptive. I think this is a good subtitle for the Bible. Bear with me, okay? <laughs> some of you care, some of you are like, okay, I've lost you already. Okay, that's okay. Let the tension build. Here's what I think the subtitle could be. The Bible. <laughs> are you pumped right now? <laughs> I'm pumped. I'm so pumped. Haven't got a lot of sleep lately, but I'm pumped. The Bible. On earth as it is in heaven. 
Now, 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 I know, I know it doesn't say Jesus or God in there. I know, I know that might be offensive for some of you, like Jesus is Lord should be the title. You, you can't totally give away the whole book in the subtitle. You gotta keep it somewhat mysterious. But the truth is, the truth is, the scripture, God's mission, God's plan is really heaven invading this created planet that he created called Earth. And even at the first, I mean, the first couple of chapters of the biblical narrative, I mean, you get right into this beautiful environment, this paradise, Eden, this garden, and you realize this is divine, this is heavenly, this is euphoric, this is, this is, this is like, it's like heaven. And of course, sin comes and compromises God's plan, but since that moment that Adam and Eve sinned, we have been in a redemptive process to take us back to that place. Much of scripture is about heaven on earth. And there will come a day at the end of the age where heaven and earth will collide and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and God will fill forever. In the meantime, in this context, in this compromised context on planet Earth, compromised by sin and self, and selfishness, we are called to be portals of heaven invading Earth. Prayer looks a little bit like this. Yeah. Not like this. You know, prayer looks, it really, we are... Whether we know it or not, Jesus taught us to pray and put us in the crosshairs of this collision. When we pray, we pray, Lord, let heaven come to earth. As it is in heaven, let it happen on earth. And Jesus says, thanks for asking, I'll use you. Those, that phrase, as it is in heaven, ought to frame our entire existence. We ought to live married in our marriage and our relationships and our kids. We ought to treat one another as it is in heaven. That's why you said, Judah, why the series on heaven? Shouldn't we just be talking about Jesus? Well, when you talk about heaven, you got to talk about Jesus. But while we're on subject, heaven is a major theme of our life because heaven, eternity, forever, is to affect our everyday, average, ordinary existence. It's to affect our marriage. It's to affect our parenting for those of us who have children. It's to affect our pocketbook, our workplace, how we relate to our boss. Everything should be affected and framed by that phrase as it is in heaven. Maybe you didn't know what you were praying. You got tricked. God's really good at that. But you have been praying for this cosmic collision in and through your life. I want to live as it is in heaven. I mean, I know we've talked about this a bit, but that would dramatically affect where you spend your money. If you framed your money with as it is in heaven. So, the million dollar question then is, as we said a moment ago, how is it in heaven? How is it in heaven? And like I said just a couple of minutes ago, a lot of us have prayed this prayer for years and never really contemplated or considered how is it in heaven? Or more simply put, what is heaven all about? What is heaven all about? 
Well, I'm so glad you asked. First of all, it should be noted that in heaven there is jewels and gold and pearls and trees and rivers and seas and in the new earth there will be mountains and lakes and so if you ever feel condemned for going on a vacation or having some jewelry or enjoying some sunshine can I just say next time some fellow believer gives you a hard time just tell them you're acclimating to heaven I learned that one from Aunt Marlene and Grandpa Don but hey 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 if if hanging out by a river was wrong, God wouldn't have put it in heaven. If enjoying the ocean was bad, he wouldn't have put it in eternity. Come on, church. If gold was evil, why did God build his streets with it in heaven? Vacations are not wrong. Enjoying a day off is not evil. Having a house by the river ain't bad. Having a beautiful home by the ocean isn't wrong. None of these things are wrong or bad and evil, for we will enjoy them in eternity. But look at the nature of these elements in eternity. Consider their nature. The river is, is clear. The ocean is like glass. The gold is transparent. The jewels you can see right through. What's the message? As we're down here on earth praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Woo! Meanwhile, how is it in heaven? Well, in heaven, these treasures, these things that we enjoy on earth, which are not bad, you can see right through for even the ocean is not an end but a means to an end even the gold in eternity <laughs> even the gold knows better the gold knows better than to make it about itself even the jewels know don't don't get caught up with me go ahead and look right through me you can enjoy me for a moment, but you understand that I'm just here. I'm just here as a facilitator. I'm just here illuminating and reflecting the true treasure of the ages and the treasure of forever, which is him, Jesus, God. It's not about me. So we can enjoy possessions and things and stuff. There is no teaching in the New Testament no teaching by Jesus where he makes possessions the enemy. When possessions possess us, we have a problem. But having stuff and things is not my message, nor is it the issue, for there is stuff and things and beauty and majesty and created elements in eternity, but recognize their nature. They are clear for a reason, so that on this earth, when we pray as it is in heaven, that we might as well get started now, keeping our gold clear and our treasure clear and our mission clear and our purpose clear. Friends, God cares in one sense, I don't care. You want a bigger house in 2013? Go ahead and pray for it. God does not mind while we're on subject. 
God is not intimidated by you praying for an extra thousand square feet, okay? And, and if we keep making it about this in church, we're going to miss the mission and the point and the purpose. If you want a house or you want a, an extra money to go to Disneyland with your kids, I'll pray with you. I'll believe for that as long as we keep it clear. As long as we keep it clear what this is all about, who this is all about. See that? Ironically, you can have very little but be consumed with having more. And you can have an abundance but be consumed with him. <laughs> Just while we're on topic, the way to overcome greed is not being broke. The way to overcome greed is it's only one way, giving, and giving as a form of worship to him. We've got to see through these things, and we hold them with an attitude like this, don't we? Keep it clear. Keep it clear. Jesus connects, as we spent time on last week, he connects the idea of treasure and eternity, treasure and heaven in the great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, starting with verse 19, and we talked about this in length last week. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he uses these three drastic metaphors, doesn't he, where moth, rust, and robbers can come in and steal. Don't, don't live like that. Don't focus on stockpiling things. Don't get so limited in your scope and perspective that all you think about is the here and the now and this context. Our life is destined to for, for, for forever and for eternity and for heaven. This is our home. So he says, now lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where there is no moth, no rust, and no thieves. And then he makes a statement where your treasure is, verse 21, that's where your heart will be also. I got a sense that verse is a lot about heaven more than we've ever realized. He just brought up heaven. And he says, now if your treasure, if we recognize that our true treasure is in heaven, our heart and our attitude will turn its direction. And we will live a life in light of eternity. Because what happens next, the way Jesus changed subjects here is, is slightly like puzzling. He's like, now let's talk about your eye. So wait a minute, what? We we're talking about treasure, heaven, and then he's like, let's talk about, while we're on subject, let's talk about your eye. It's like, we weren't on that subject. <laughs> but notice what he says. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Let me read the next verse and then we'll make some comments. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, a lot of times in classic church context, we've taken these verses and basically said uh, these are the anti-porn verses. Which, while we're on that subject, it should be noted God is against porn. Okay. Last night I said, you know, if you're on late, on late at night on the internet looking at naked people, you shouldn't do that. And then I realized, you know, any time of the day actually, you shouldn't be on the internet <laughs> looking at naked people. You know, it's just it's not even cool in the morning. So, but but these two verses are more than just about not looking at the opposite sex in a lustful way. It's more than that. Wait a minute, we're just talking about heaven and treasure and heart. And then he says, your eye. And he says, if your eye is good, your whole being will be permeated, illuminated by light. 
Do you know the word good there in the Greek? It means only one thing, single. If your eye is single, your whole body, in other words, if you keep your focus on Jesus, you will be illuminated with light, simplicity, peace, righteousness, joy. You will be a whole person. That verse right there is a microcosm of heaven where the gold because it is clear, it is single, one of the other Greek meanings of good in that verse 22 is clear, because it is clear, all of eternity is illuminated by the light of Jesus. This is an as it is in heaven verse. This is God saying, I want your body to function like eternity. If you'll focus on Jesus, I will illuminate your entire structure just like I do in eternity. And it goes on and says, but if your eye is bad, that word bad just means not single. Now, which tells me that part of the reference here, as Jesus is preaching a, an elongated sermon to Jews, Jews, who are not committed to 10 rules, mind you, those 10 rules were the tip of the iceberg. There was, either, there was nearly 300 rules these poor Jews had to abide by. And Jesus makes a statement, the gall, the nerve, and the audacity to say that they could have a single focus for the life of a Jew for hundreds of years was trying to juggle hundreds of rules. He says, but if your eye's bad, if it's complex, if it's looking in multiple directions at multiple things, your whole body will be full of darkness. But listen to this mysterious statement he makes. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness. What? The light that is in you is dark. How can you call it light if it's darkness? He's referencing the Jewish mindset. You think you're living in the light. You think you have light. But you have legalism. Which is darkness. And how much greater is that darkness? For you think in your juggling of your discipline and your devotion and your good deeds that you will be full of light, but in fact you will be plummeted into a depth of darkness you cannot imagine, for you cannot save yourself. This is what Jesus is referencing. He's essentially saying, keep it clear. <laughs> He, he's standing there going, guys, just focus on me, right? It's not long after, by the time we get to chapter 11, and Sterling already mentioned it here at our Kirkland campus in his message, Jesus says, come to me. All of your attempts to uphold the Torah, come to me. That's all you need, just me. I'm a one-stop shop. I'm the total package. Just come to me. <laughs> Matthew 6, It's one of the famous verses in all the Bible. You may be a guest here today not familiar with Scripture, but Matthew 6, is one of the famous Scriptures that a lot of Christians have put to memory. And Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom. The kingdom assumes the king. There's a king and a kingdom. Seek first the king and the kingdom and his and his and his righteousness. 
And then he puts a little caveat at the end. He says, oh, and all that stuff you want, I'll throw that in. Don't worry, stop it. Don't worry about all that stuff. Are you kidding me? A car? Just worship my righteousness. Meditate on my righteousness. Talk about my righteousness. Think over and over, write and journal about my righteousness. Study my righteousness in scripture. Come to me, look to me, focus on me. Keep life clear, keep things clear, keep the problems clear. Live as it is in heaven. Woo! Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will have no part in the kingdom of heaven. You'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What? What was the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? It was self-righteousness. It was an affinity and an obsession with their own deeds and their own abilities and their own devotion. There are people in this room tonight, they're at the UD, they're at Alderwood and Belltown, and you are obsessed with your own spiritual resume. You can't see past yourself. Whether your challenges, your difficulties, or your successes, and you and I, we are not living as it is in heaven. For as it is in heaven, these secondary, non-primary things are clear. They are to be enjoyed, but they are clearly a facilitator of the true treasure. Does God want you to be successful? Sure. Yeah. Does he want you to be blessed and have stuff and things and take care of your needs? Sure. Sure. He said, don't worry about all that stuff. But our worship, our adoration, our, medera- our meditation, the theme of our heart has to be clearly Him. Yeah. Romans 5.17, if one man's offense, Romans 5.17, if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the through the one. (laughs) I can do that. I can do that. See, we've made Christianity really a religion just for the informed and the educated few. Well, if you can juggle a lot of things at once. If you can memorize this, if you can have good church attendance, if you know how to pray, if you have good discipline, if you can make disciples, have a group in your living room, if you can do these things, you'll have a part in the kingdom of heaven. And so people come to our gatherings, church, and they come in and say, I can't, I don't even understand all that. I I don't know. I don't even know their language. I, don't, I, can't, I can't fit here. And yet when Jesus preached the gospel, he preached it to blue-collar, everyday, average people. And he made it clear and simple. Come to me. However you are, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, come 
to me. And you'll reign in life as I give you what you could never earn. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed in Galatians 5, for those of us that have been around church and know scripture, Galatians 5 is the end of that chapter. The nine character qualities listed there are not called the fruits of our discipline. They're not called the fruits of our devotion. They're not called the fruits of our church attendance. They're not called the fruits of our prayer life. They're not called the fruits of our giving, serving, or living. In fact, those nine character qualities are not even called the fruits of the Spirit. They're called the fruit of the Spirit. There's no plural. The only plural in this passage is works. For works are complicated. Works are innumerable. Works are plural and endless. Trusting your works has no end. Someone said it's a dead end. No, it's a never-ending process. You will never come to the place where you're enough, ever, ever. You will never measure up to his righteousness. You will never measure up in your goodness and your deeds. It is works of the flesh, plural and never ending. But the fruit of the Spirit is singular, as if to tell us there is one source, there is one focus. One, and it's Him, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Jesus, who is God. It's the fruit of Him. He is the root. He is the source. He is the focus. Many ancient rabbis wrote about this passage. Many scholars today write about this passage, and they believe that based on Paul's writings, he's actually speaking of one fruit, one fruit, one fruit. It's probably love. And all the other eight character qualities are just elements of love. Essentially, it's one fruit with nine flavors. And by the way, nine is the number of the fullness of blessing. For in Jesus Christ, we have the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus, we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. In Jesus, some of you are obsessing over self-control or you're obsessing over faithfulness. And you're thinking, this is going to be my year of faithfulness. I am not mad at you. I'm not against that. I applaud that. But while we're on topic, can I just say that if you would focus more on Jesus than faithfulness, you won't just get faithfulness, you'll get nine other great character qualities in the process. Yeah. It's the fruit of His Spirit. It's the fruit of His righteousness. It's the fruit of His perfect work. It's the fruit of His beauty and His majesty. Keep it clear. Is faithfulness a bad thing? No. Frankly, it's a good thing. Are rivers a bad thing? No. They're a good thing. Our oceans a bad thing. No, they're a good thing. Our jewels a bad thing. No, they're a good thing. His gold a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. But in heaven, it's clear. It's clearly about Him. Don't make this about just some character qualities. Don't make this just about church attendance. These things are good, but they are nothing more than facilitators to illuminate 
His sufficiency and His majesty and His beauty. It's all about Him. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race with endurance that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of God. That word looking in the Greek simply means eyes only for Jesus. Woo, I just wonder. Can we develop together on this journey and be the kind of church we got eyes only for Jesus? We love our relationships. We love church. We love life. We'll facil- We'll use gold. We'll use jewels. We'll enjoy some riverfront. We'll enjoy some oceans. We'll enjoy vacation. But at the end of the day, we only got eyes for Him. I remember looking at G, looking at Chelsea and. My mom's saying, you look at her like you never looked at anybody in your whole life. That's right. It just happened. It's called love. I had eyes only for Chelsea. You're going to have to look at other things in life. You got to go to work tomorrow. Sorry to remind you. I'm not saying we just ignore everything shut down, move to Montana and live in a tree fort with burlap on. We've talked about this. I'm not promoting that. But even when we look at things, we can look right through them because we're keeping it clear. We've got eyes only for Jesus and this is where I end and conclude and am done. I love how John opens his gospel. John, the cousin of Jesus, yet had such faith that he recognized that Jesus was not just his cousin. He was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And John makes a statement that just frames our existence and frames all of eternity. He steps aside, no doubt, as Jesus walks into the frame and walks into the picture. And he says, behold, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look at him. Focus on him, not me, not anybody else. Behold the Lamb. And that is the theme of heaven. That's how it is in heaven. Gold and jewels and treasures and rivers and lakes and oceans and trees and mountains all step aside in eternity and say, behold, the Lamb. I pray that we will live life on this earth, in this context, as it is in heaven that our life will be consumed with a mission that we are going to behold every day, every minute, every moment. We're going to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Whoo! How uncomplicated will our life become? Some of you, you are so busy spinning plates juggling schedules and issues and stuff. And look, I know life is complex. I know we live in a complex culture and a complex economy in complex times. But Jesus never offered complex relationship. He always offered clear and simple, single-focused Relationship, And I just pray that that will be indicative of our life, the theme of our life. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let me pray for you. Come on, City Church. 
Let's keep it clear. Let's keep it clear. Let's keep it clear. Every head bowed and every eye closed there at Belltown and Alderwood and here at Kirkland. If you're here and you say, Judah, I'd like to, I'd like to give my life to Jesus. I'd like to follow him. I want to know him. I want a relationship with him. I want to spend forever with him. If you want to accept his righteousness, his forgiveness, right here in this moment, one moment of faith and forgiveness is yours. Past, present, future sins, all forgiven in a moment. Come on, if you want that today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, you said, Judah, include me in that prayer. I want you to throw up your hand real quick and you can put it right back down. You know who you are. One, I believe today's your day. I really do. Two, three. Just throw up your hand and say, man, that's me. Please pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Anybody else? Just shoot up your hand real quick. Put it right back down. I think just do something in your heart, you know? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Never be the same. Come on, church. Just say this right out loud with me. Let's confess our love for Jesus. Say, Jesus, here's my life. It's yours. I love you forever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Never going to be the same. You prayed that prayer. Whether or not you raise your hand, but you prayed that prayer and you meant it. You never be the same. This journey begins. Secondly, I want to pray in a moment. We're going to worship God with our resource. But before we do, I want to pray for believers. You love Jesus. And a bit similar to last week, but I just felt obviously impressed by the Holy Spirit to continue this theme and this message. I just believe there's some people here. Things have gotten just really complicated. Really complicated. And I'm here to declare that's not God's will for your life. Keep it clear. Keep it simple. Simple and single focused. If you're here and say, man, I, need, I just, this message is for me. I'd, I'd like to be included in this closing prayer. Just praying for things to get clear. Simple and single. If you need that, just throw up your hand real quick. Say, man, that's me. Please include me in that prayer. Jesus, you see our hand and you know every detail of our life. Holy Spirit, you are here. Your presence is here. Your power is here. I sense you in this place there at Alderwood and Belltown. You are present. You are available. You are good. You are gracious. You are our comforter. You are our helper. You are the one that intervenes in our everyday situations. And Father, we welcome your activity. We cast all our cares upon you for you care for us. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. We go to you, Jesus. We behold the Lamb of God today who takes away the sins, the complexities of this life. We thank you, Lord. We are going to be people of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father. This is who we are. We receive it again now as our inheritance. God, even as we sit we sit, we lean, we rest, we recline on your righteousness. You're enough. You're everything we need. We're going to be okay. Thank you, Jesus. 
all the weights, these weights, God, we just cast off in Jesus' name according to faith. And we trust you, God. We are enough. God, I just pray, Lord, that pray for like divine defrost where there has been like a mist over the windshield of our mind and our life and our thoughts. I pray you just defrost right now and there would come clarity to, to, to literally drive into our future. I thank you. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And I declare your people, their steps are ordered and you're going to lead them. God, even big decisions that are looming large in people's lives that are here today, there at Alderwood, Belltown, you're going to make it clear. You're going to make it obvious. The steps are to take, the decisions they're to make. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just you